Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Nathan, one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. I want to give you a little insider info on like how we plan services on Sunday morning. We actually lay our teaching series out, the books that we're going to teach through, the topics that we're going to discuss. We lay those out months in advance, and um, we lay those out for different reasons, the calendar and things that are going on in the world and just praying over that. And uh, I wanted to tell you why uh, I chose the book of 1 John and we started this series because it's actually happening this week. Um, We knew that uh, Election Day was Tuesday, and that if 2018 was anything like 2016, then if you turn on the news this week or you get online, it's going to be like a dumpster fire. And so maybe you want to ease up on that. Um, Maybe you're going to see people this week, like some team's going to lose, some team's going to win. You're going to see people say things on TV, people that are friends of yours online that you thought you knew, but you're like, whoa. Didn't know you were going to say that. They're going to say things that are going to remind you how dark the world is. But I want to remind you this morning that in the world's darkest times, it gives the opportunity to the light to shine the brightest. And so we did a series on darkness versus light and flipping the switch because we knew this week and the next few weeks are, are going to be rough in our country. And people are going to be talking about how divided we are and and whether you're north or south, or red or, or blue, or conservative or progressive, or, or whatever it is, everybody's going to focus on what divides us. Um, but I, I, I need to remind you that uh, Tuesday is Election Day, and on Wednesday morning, did you know that you're going to wake up and our Savior is going to be the same? Uh, did you know that when you wake up, the world is still going to be hopeless, regardless of who won? Did you know that our message does not change? Did you know that what we have is still what everyone is looking for? And so like this week, really dial in and and figure out like what is most important to me? Can we keep the main thing the main thing so that whatever happens on Tuesday, you wouldn't have undercut your own credibility and your own ability to speak truth into someone's life? Uh, Because a political party is not the savior. Jesus is. And so we got to choose now, who, who are you going to be about? So vote who, however you want to, whenever you want to, whatever, for whoever you want to do. But Wednesday morning, the truth is the same. The Savior is the same. The message is the same. The hope comes from the same place. The gospel is the same. The hurting world is the same. And you have the answer. So think about this week, man, how you can turn the light on in the darkness. And instead of, like, getting in the mud with the pigs... Think about how you can get people to focus on the main thing and help people to understand who Jesus is and that a hopeless, dying world is in need of the gospel. And if we don't do it, then nobody else is going to do it. And so, man, that's the thought. That's the mindset this week. That's the whole reason we planned this series and we dropped First John and light versus dark in, in the middle of, of this few months leading up to election day, so it'll be a big week, and um, you have the answer. You have the answer, and that, that answer is not found on a ballot. 
Uh, that answer is Jesus. And so let's be very generous with that hope. Let's be very generous with that message and keep the main thing um, the main thing. Um, I want to ask you some questions this morning. Questions are uh, not uncommon to us. We have to answer questions every day. When you woke up this morning, uh, you answered two questions really quickly. Uh, what am I going to wear today? And what am I going to eat for breakfast? Um, one of the most important questions of the day is what are we going to have for lunch? Maybe you're thinking about that right now. Uh, maybe you've already got that planned. <clears throat> um, and so, like, the, the big question, what are you going to wear today? It depends, like, who am I going to see or where am I going to go? Do I have a big meeting? Do I have to go out in public? Am I going to put pants on today? All right, yes, if, I, if you have to do that, then that's a, that's a big decision that you have to decide. But not every question is kind of light like that. A lot of uh, questions that we have to answer um, have great ramifications on our life. And uh, the choices that we make, some of those questions are as you get older, uh, maybe you get into high school and you start to think, what am I going to do when I graduate? Am I going to go to school or am I going to get a job? If I'm going to go to school, what school am I going to go to? If I get into a school, what am I going to major in? I mean, that's a big question because what you major in may be what your career is for the rest of your life and where you, where you live and maybe you get a job and then you start thinking, well, what if I, I can't get a job? What if I lose my job? How am I going to pay for the bills? How am I going to pay for college? How am I going to pay for any of this? Big questions that we have to ask. And maybe as you progress through that, you graduate, you try to ask yourself, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? What job do I want to work? And then, and then maybe there's another big question that comes out. Uh, do I want to get married? Do I like this guy? Do I want to date this girl? <clears throat> do I want to be single the rest of my life? Or do I have a desire to be married? Who am I going to marry? When do I want to get married? What is that going to look like? Have I met the right person yet? What, what are all those questions pointing to? Uh, what, what am I looking for in a mate? Like, who am I looking for? Maybe they're standing right in front of me, but I don't even know what I'm looking for, so I don't, I don't know that that's who they are. When I sit down with married or, uh, engaged couples and do premarital counseling, we go over this, this list of questions, including, like, have you guys talked about, do you want to have kids? Have you already talked about that? Is it how many kids do you want to have? Have you talked about when you're going to start? Maybe you came from a big family and so you want to have a bunch of kids, but the other person came from a little family and they're like, two is fine. Depending on how good the first one is, if the first one's real bad, then maybe one child is fine. Uh, and so there's a lot of questions that can determine that. What about money? Couples fight over money. It's the number one reason for divorce. Uh, what about money? Right? Have you talked about how you're going to spend money? How are you going to save money? What are you willing to go into debt over? How much money are you going to give away? What will you be known for as a couple? Will you be known for your generosity and helping others out? Or will you be just known as people that are just interested in what they want and what they want to do in their life and meeting their needs and doing those types of things? Who are you going to be known for? What, what are those big questions in life? What do you want out of your relationships? What do you want out of life? Maybe you get a little bit older and you start asking questions like, when am I going to retire? Do I have enough to retire? Is the market going to be good enough for me to retire earlier? Do I need to stock up some more? How diversified am I in investing in the right things? What if I get sick? What, what, what if in my older age I get a, a doctor's appointment and they tell me something like an illness that I'll never come out of or something that will just debilitate my life over the next few months and ultimately cost me? Am I, am I ready for that? What is my purpose in life? Why am I even here? What is this all about? I want to make sure I'm living out my purpose. And then questions even get more beyond those. Some of the most important questions we ask are why. Why? Why do bad things happen? Why does God allow bad things to happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to any people? Why do bad things happen to me? 
Why do bad things happen to people that try to follow Jesus and try to do the right things and they're trying to live a life that, that glorifies and honors God, but it seems like sometimes it still falls apart and it's still hard and it's still difficult and you still lose people and you still run across frustrating times. Our lives are filled with questions, some more pressing than others. Some just are simply, what are you going to eat for lunch today? Others, what is the purpose and meaning of life? What are you really here for? What do you want to be known for? I want to ask you three questions this morning. John actually answers them from this text, and they seem like disconnected, and he's like jumping from idea to idea, and it feels like, like John's just cramming stuff into this chapter, 1 John chapter 3, but he's going to answer Three really important questions, three questions that I would argue probably everyone in this room has asked at one point or another. Maybe you've asked them even, even today. The cool thing about these questions are uh, you don't have to be a Christian to answer or ask these questions. In fact, I would say if you're here today and you're not on Team Jesus, you may have asked these questions with an even greater frequency. And so these are questions that we can all relate to, that we all ask, and John is just going to tick through these in these few verses that we're going to look at. First John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. If you have your Bible, you can open it up or go to it on your phone or check out the big Bible on the screen uh, behind you. But he's going to ask three big questions as he's writing to this group of believers, three questions that everyone in this room uh, I would like for you to answer for yourself today. So we picked up uh, where we left off last week where in verse 18, John says, Dear children, l- let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show it by the truth of our actions. Let's put our money where our mouth is and actually prove that we love people. In verse 19, here's where he starts answering some really, really big questions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident When we stand before God. The way the ESV reads is is this. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. This group of believers had questions for John. And and, and maybe it's the same question that I have. That I know that I have that maybe you have today that John answers it here. And here's, here's the first question that John talks about. How do you really know that you're a Christian? I mean, like, how do you know? I'm not talking about, like, I think I know, or I'm pretty sure I know, or I know what my mama told me growing up. How do you know? John here says, by this, you can know that you are of the truth. It's a word that John uses for you're a Christian, or you're in the light, or you're following God. Like, you can know that you know. Like, you can be totally confident in knowing where you stand with God. The first question is, what if you could know. Like, What if you could know for sure that you were a follower of Jesus? Have you ever asked that question? Like, am I sure? Man, like, do, I mean, do I know? I'm talking about, like, do I really know? Is there any kind of doubt, like any percentage of doubt in my mind of where I stand with God and what happens when you die and who is Jesus and all these things? Like, do I really know? If you've never asked that question aloud, hopefully you've asked it at least in your head. Is this faith 
real. I meet people that grew up in church and their mom or their dad or their grandmother brought them to church every Sunday. And, and you can ask them, like, are you a Christian or like, do you follow Jesus? And they're like, yeah, my, I grew up in a church and my grandma made sure to tell me Bible stories and, and my mom and dad are followers of Jesus and they're Christian. So I'm, I'm a Christian, absolutely. That's just kind of my, my heritage. Well, you're going to reach a point in your life where you're going to realize that there is a difference between your faith and your parents' faith, your faith and your grandmother's faith, and you'll have to ask yourself, is this faith mine? Is it real? Or is this just what my mom told me to believe? Is this just what the Sunday school teacher told me when I was growing up in my grandma's church? Is, is this real? Or is, is this mine? Maybe you look back and to answer that question, you think, yeah, I remember when I was little, I joined a church. And, of course, I'm a Christian because I've been going to church my whole life. I'm not asking you, do you, do you go to church or are you a member of a church? Some of you may say, yeah, when I was a little baby, I was baptized. And so, like, that means I'm a Christian. And I'm not asking you, were you baptized? Some of you may say, well, yeah, when I turned 12 or 13 or, or some age around there, my church did classes. And as long as you graduate the classes and pass the test, and that means you're in and you're on the team. And so I'm a Christian because I got my certificate that says I passed the classes when I should have with the church. I'm not, I'm not asking, did you take a class? John's not saying, did you pass the test? He's saying, do you know? Like, Do you, do you really know if you're a, a follower of Jesus? What if you could actually know? And I love John's approach here because he uses a word in the text. He says, I want to write you something because I want to reassure you of some things. Man, there's just... There's something about someone that you love or trust that is either a, a coach or a mentor or a father or a mother figure that, that comes in and reassures you of something. There's doubt, there's fear, maybe there's some nervousness, maybe there's a lack of clarity, but then this person comes in and reassures you of things that you already know. This used to happen to me growing up. I was convinced that there was something in my closet that, that like appeared when the lights got turned out, and I was not a big fan of the dark. And then when I thought about it, I was like, there's probably something underneath my bed too. And so in the middle of the night, I would wake up and be like, Mom, Mom. Because I was too scared to get up and go to her room because if somebody was in a the closet, they were going to get me before I could get in there. So I was like, Mom, Mom. And my mom would come in and I'd say, I think there's somebody in the closet. really do. And if they're not in the closet, it's because they're underneath the bed. And it's dark in here. Can you turn a light on? And my mom would come in and she would reassure me of things. She'd say, Nathan, there's nothing in the closet. There's nothing under the bed. I'm going to turn the light on. You'll be able to see. I'll open up the closet door. I'll leave it open if you want to. I'm like, no, don't leave it open. <laughs> and just by my mom coming in and reassuring me of the things that, that I already knew, but there was just something about her comforting me and coming along and saying, hey, listen, I know you already know this, but I know there's fear. I know there's some doubt. I know there's some trepidation. I know sometimes things aren't clear all the time. And so John, big brother, coach John comes in and says, man, I want to remind you of some things. I want to reassure you. I want to, I want to silence some doubts and anxiety, maybe a little bit of nerves here and provide some comfort and some peace. I, I love what John does, but also recognize what he doesn't do. John doesn't respond to this church that says, hey, you know, I'm I've been wrestling with this question of how can I know and am I sure and who is Jesus? John doesn't look at him and be like, are you guys serious? Right? What a bunch of losers. You call yourself a church and you don't know the answer to that question. Are you even a Christian? 
No, you're not a good. If you don't know the answer to that question, like you need to go back like five grade levels. Like you need to start. I can't believe you would act. I can't believe you would tell me that you're struggling with this, that you have some doubts with this. Are you serious right now? Who are you? No, he looks at him and says, Man, man, I'm glad you asked that. That is such a good question. I'm glad you're wrestling with that. Did you know that Paul writes that we should work out our salvation, that we should be asking ourselves questions and, 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 and questioning every little thing and bringing it to God and examining it with his word? Do you know that like, you should be working out your salvation until the day you die? You should be making sure that it's yours and that you know what it is and it's true and it's changed your life. And so John doesn't come in and say, man, you bunch of religious peasants, I can't believe you're questioning these things. He says, I'm so glad you asked that question. I'm so glad you're wrestling with that. So let me come in here and and reassure you of some things. I know you already know it. I've already shared this message with you, but I'm, I'm just here to reassure you. I'm here to remind you. I'm here to set your heart at ease, to calm you down some, to settle your nerves about the most important question that you will ever ask. And the language that he uses in verse 19, he says, I want to give you some confidence, right? I don't want you to be worried or hesitant. I want to give you confidence in these things. I don't want you to, to, to think that, that it's cloudy or unclear or to, to be struggling with it anymore. Like, let me, let me breathe some confidence into you because, like, you, you guys know this. When someone is confident about something, they talk different, they act different, they walk different, they dress different, they carry themselves differently. He says, man, I want you to have that confidence about who Jesus is. And here's how he phrases it in verse 19. He says this, you really want to know. You want to know if you're a follower of Jesus. I'll show you. Here's a, here's a foolproof way. He says, verse 19, your actions will show that you know who Jesus is. Your actions will give you confidence. Here, I want to make this very clear. Actions illustrate who you are. They do not determine who you are. They illustrate who you are. John is not saying, if you act like a Christian and smell like a Christian and look like a Christian, then that makes you a Christian. That's not the answer to that question. That's works-based salvation. That's you trying to impress God. Here's what he says, but your actions will help to illustrate who you are. I know a lot of kind, generous, compassionate, loving, merciful people that don't even believe that God exists. Just because you act like Jesus doesn't mean you know Jesus. But John says, man, your actions will be an illustrator of who you are really are. And I meet a lot of people that are struggling with this question about like, how are you confident that you know, how do I really know? And you know what it boils down to? It, it boils down to they find themselves saying one thing with their mouth and living one thing with their life. And those two things are confusing to them. And so they're like, my, my actions don't illustrate the fact that my life has been changed by Jesus. And so it makes me question, has my life actually been changed by Jesus? And John says, your actions will help illustrate who you are. John's going to answer that huge question, how do you know? How can you be confident in a few verses? But he jumps to a seemingly a totally different subject, a totally different question that you struggle with, that I struggle with, that we all have to answer. And, and in verse 20, he says this, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings. And he knows everything. Dear friends, 
if we don't feel guilty, then we can come to God with bold confidence. Well, while we're asking questions, John, like, let's just throw out another question. Like, I don't know if you know or not whether you're on team Jesus or whether you've given your life to him, but, but, but what about this? Here's a good question. What about the guilt? Have you ever experienced guilt before? You ever felt guilty over something? Even, even if you're in a relationship with Jesus and you do something wrong, you feel guilty over it, or you don't do something, you feel guilty over it. Guilt is something that we all feel, and John says, I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to be deceived by this guilt. And we all feel guilt at different times and in different ways. Maybe you don't feel guilty until the morning after, and you sober up and you realize what you did the night before. And you're like, ooh. Maybe you don't feel guilty until you get caught. And then when you get caught and called out on it, then you feel guilty. Maybe it's something that you said or did that you don't feel guilty about until you realize that it had an effect on someone else around you. And then you start to feel bad and feel guilty about those things. Maybe it's when you're right in the middle of the act or you are doing something or processing something and it crosses your mind, man, I, I, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing this. I should not be with this person. I should not be saying these things. I shouldn't be participating in, in these things. Man, this just isn't right. Maybe, maybe you even feel guilty before you even do it. Like you're thinking about something and you're like, oh, that'd be terrible. I should not do that. What's the deal with guilt? What, what is guilt? John even says here, did you know that your guilt can push you away from God? Your guilt can erode your relationship with God. Why is that such a big question? Like, why do we need to know what's the deal with guilt? Because guilt can actually push us away from God. I see it all the time. I'll, I'll see someone that hasn't hung out here on a Sunday morning in a long time, and I'll see them in the grocery store or something, and we'll reconnect. I'm like, hey, man, we miss you. You ought to come back and hang out sometime. And, and more chances than not, they say, you know what? It's, I've wanted to come back but I felt so bad that it's been so long since I've been there, like, I just don't come. And my guilt causes me not even to want to show up. Sometimes if you talk to people about their prayer life and, like, how often do you pray and what do you pray for, and, and they'll say, you know what, I haven't prayed in a really long time. And I, and I actually feel kind of guilty because what is God going to say after I haven't talked to him in a long time? And all of a sudden, like, I'm going I'm to bow my head and be like, hey, God, what's up? Long time no see. And like, I, I, don't, I don't even want to pray because I feel guilty about how long it's been since I prayed. And so I feel guilty about that, so I don't, I don't, I don't want to pray anymore. Or I don't want to ask God for anything because the last time I talked to him was when I was asking him for something and I made him a promise that I didn't keep and now I'm going to be confronted with him again. Did you know that guilt can actually push you away from God? can push you in the opposite direction of God. So I want to I look at two words that we need to wrestle with. What, what's the deal with guilt? What's up with guilt? Because there's, there are two things that we find here in Scripture that John says you need to know the difference about. Number one is guilt, but number two is conviction. You and I need to know the difference between guilt and conviction. When you're guilty, when you feel guilt or shame over something, is different than when God convicts you of something in your life. Here's the breakdown. Guilt leaves you hopeless. There is no hope found in guilt. But conviction from God leaves you hopeful that maybe something can change, that you can get your way out of it. Guilt leads to shame. Conviction leads to change. When you feel guilty, you just feel bad about what you've done. But when God convicts you of something, then you're like, hey, i got to change. 
I don't want to be this same person anymore. I want to move past it. Guilt is designed to tear you down where conviction is designed to make you better. Guilt is all about you and what you've done. Conviction is all about God and what he's done. Guilt pushes you away from God, but conviction draws you closer to God. Funny story, um, when my oldest daughter was little, we were in our front yard, and I was standing on the porch, and all of a sudden, like, she just started, she turned towards the road and started running just as fast as her little fat legs would carry her. She was running towards the road. I look up, and there's a car coming down the road, and I stand up on my porch, and in a very specific tone and volume of voice, I call out, and I say, Leah, stop! You know what Leah did? She whipped around and started to run towards me with her arms out to me crying. See, when guilt tells you to stop, it calls you dumb for running to the road. But when conviction tells you to stop, it tells you to turn around and run back to safety. Guilt is of the enemy that doesn't produce anything. Conviction is from God that produces change in our life. Guilt says the solution is for you to move away from God. Can you believe what God is going to say or think when you come back to him? Oh, he's going to be so mad. Oh, he's going to flip when he finds out what you did. You can't go back to him. Just stay away. But conviction says God knows exactly what you did, and he's still standing there with arms wide open and will love you and forgive you if you'll just turn and repent and come back to him. Guilt focuses on your mistakes while conviction focuses on the solution. Guilt keeps you in a personal prison while conviction says, I know you're in prison now, but there's a door over there and it beckons you to leave. John says the first thing you got to do, man, when it comes to guilt, you need to know the difference between guilt and conviction. You need to know when the enemy is trying to tear you down and when God is trying to make you better. Here's, here's the best example I got between guilt and conviction. Um, it's the difference between a backseat driver and a GPS. Do you know any backseat drivers? You're married to one, right? You may be one. Your friend may be one. Backseat drivers are the worst. Because here's what happens. Here's what a backseat driver does. A backseat driver criticizes you as you are driving. You're either driving too fast or you're not driving fast enough. Either you need to pass this guy or you need to stop bobbing and weaving so much. Either like this is the absolute worst road that you could have taken. If you'd have listened to me, we wouldn't be in this traffic right now. Right? This, why are you taking the long way? There's so many lights here. If you'd have just cut through this neighborhood and you would have listened to me, we would have been there by now. But no, well, pull over and let me drive. Like, why are you driving even? Like, and I'm just like, I'm feeling like wrecking the car at that point, pushing them out. The worst possible thing that could happen when you have a backseat driver in the car is for you to take a wrong turn. Oh, my goodness. You take a wrong turn. And they said, hey, you, you were supposed to turn back there. I told you. I told you to take a left. I told you it was coming up. You, what are you doing? Are you not paying attention? You got one job, and it's to get, why are you driving? Are you serious? You're going to be late now. I told you. You know what a GPS does when you make a wrong turn? It reroutes you. Not one time has my GPS ever said in her mechanical voice, Nathan, you're an idiot. <laughs> I would punch that screen in a minute. 
I don't care if it is a woman's voice. You know what that GPS does? It says turn left in a thousand yards, and when I blow by it, it says at the next left, turn left. And turn left again, and you'll be back on your route. Did you know that the enemy whispers guilt into your life and says, I can't believe you missed the turn. I can't believe you did that again. I can't believe how dumb you are. I can't believe how many times you're going to miss this turn. I can't believe that you promised God you'd never miss this turn again, and you missed it again. And the conviction of God comes in and says, if you'll go up here and take a left and another left, then you'll be back where I want you to be. And we'll be back on track. And he doesn't berate you for the mistakes that you make, but he reroutes you. Because conviction is about restoration, and guilt is about destruction. Because conviction from God is about him helping you get to where you need to be and the plan and the purpose that he has for your life and guilt is about Satan derailing your life so that you will never want to talk and show your face to God again. John says you better know the difference between those two things. What's the deal with the guilt? Push the guilt out because it does not produce anything. But if God begins to convict you then you better listen and start moving to where he's guiding you so that you can become the man or the woman that he's designed for you. Third question John answers. He says, man, what are we going to do about the guilt? What happens if we're a follower of Jesus and we do something wrong or, or we make a mistake and we sin? Does that mean we're not a Christian anymore? Does that mean Jesus doesn't love us? Does that mean he's going to freak out when he's going to find out? Like, or what about the salvation? How do we know? The third question in verse 22, he says, and, and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and we do the things that please him. Again, it seems like a totally different subject. John's like, oh, hey, by the way, did you know that when you pray, you can ask God for anything and he will give it to you? Really? Says it right there. And we will receive from him whatever we ask. Whatever. Whatever we ask. Because we obey him and we do the things that please him. So here's the third question. You've asked it. I've asked it. What's the deal with prayer? So, like, I get the guilt thing, maybe I need to work out the salvation thing, but what's the deal with prayer? Is there a magic word you have to use? Is there a certain time of day you have to do it? Because this guy just said, whatever you ask, not some things, not a few things, not the good things. He says, whatever you ask, then God will give it to you. I know people today that don't pray because they don't believe it works. I'll say, hey, man, you need to pray about things. Like, I'm not going to pray. I've prayed before and asked God for things, and I didn't get it. So why are we going to pray now? Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like, okay, I'm not going to go as far as to say that prayer doesn't work, but secretly it doesn't work because I've been asking for some stuff, and I, and I need some stuff, and I've been bringing it to God in prayer. And you're telling me, and John's telling me that if we'll pray, that whatever we ask for, like, I'm just trying to get one thing. I'm just trying to ask for one thing, and I've been praying for it for a long time. Like, what's, what's the deal? And then on the opposite side, you know, you have some TV preachers that are just like, if you'll pray, and if you have enough faith, and if you believe enough, and send me $100, I'll mail you a prayer handkerchief, and wipe it on your forehead, and pray, and you will get it. You will receive it. And then, you know, the crazy thing, they have the audacity to say, if you call them back and say, hey, I prayed for something with your magic handkerchief, and I didn't get it, you know what they'll say? That's because you don't have enough faith, brother. You just didn't believe. 
if you believed like I told you to, if you had faith like I told you to, then, then the Bible says whatever you ask, you will receive. And John, like, you got to pay attention to the words that he uses here because he puts some caveats to that. Like we need to understand what this prayer life is about because there is a way for you to get a yes answer to every prayer that you pray. But here's what you have to know. John says you have to know the Father that you're praying towards. See, if you know the dad, then you know exactly what he wants. You know his hearts. You know his desires. And when you ask him for those things, then he'll give them to you. My girls know this about me. I was texting with a buddy of mine in my, our group. I, I took my girls out to uh, Dario on Friday night to eat ice cream. I love ice cream. Um, could eat ice cream all the time. Um, any flavor doesn't matter, except sherbet. Yeah, that's not ice cream. That's like false religion. Um, <laughs> sherbet. And frozen yogurt. It's just like ice cream. Yeah. It's just like heaven and hell. Right. It's the same. I love ice cream. Doesn't matter what flavor it is. My girls know I love ice cream. My girls know that if they ever ask me to go get some ice cream, I'm going to say yes. It doesn't matter. He's like, well, it's right before supper. So, <laughs> right? It, it's early in the morning. So, like, let's, let's go. And so I, I text my buddy Rusty again. I text him on Saturday night. We were back at Dario eating ice cream. He's, and Elizabeth was giving me a hard time about it on the way. He's like, didn't y'all eat ice cream Friday? So, like, what's your point? Like, what are, you, what are you trying to get to here? Is there a point to this story or what? So we ate ice cream two nights through. My daughters know that if they ever want ice cream, that their dad's heart is for ice cream, that their dad's desire is for ice cream, that there's never a bad time for ice cream. They know that. But my daughters also know what I'm against. And so my daughter, my five-year-old daughter, has never come up to me and said, you know what, Dad, I've been thinking about something, and uh, I'm thinking about picking up vaping, Okay. So what I want you to do, could you run me down to the Circle K and buy me a jewel and some of the juice that you squirt into it? Because I, I want to start doing that. I've done my research and I've prayed about it and I want to start doing that. I really feel like I want to start smoking. My daughter's never asked me that because she knows that I, I don't want to do anything that's not healthy for her, which is interesting coming off the ice cream binge. But <laughs> you got to pick your battles. <laughs> got to pick your battles, right? So my daughter's never going to come up and ask me for that. My daughter's never going to come up and ask me for something that she knows is going to hurt her because she knows that's not my will. That's not my desire. So she's not even going to ask. She's like, I'm not going to ask my dad. I already know the answer is no. Why ask? But she knows my heart and my desires on certain things. And if she knows those things, then she can come up and ask with boldness. Can we get two scoops? Yes. <laughs> can we get syrup on top of it? Why not? Right? Can we get it in a cone? Don't tell mom. Okay, yeah. Yes, of course we can. That's my heart. That's my desire. John says, if you know God's heart and desire for your life, then you know the things that he is against and you know the things that he is for. Why would you ever ask God for something that he's against? The answer is going to be no. Like, and then if you know God's heart, then you can ask as much, you can ask for ice cream as much as you want. And the answer will always be yes with me. You can ask God for things. If you read his word and you're like, I know this is what God has promised. I know this is what he has for me. I know that this is what he said he would always do. Then you can ask all you want to. And the answer will be yes every single time. John says, if you know the will of the Father, if you believe in him and keep his commands, then the answer will, will always be yes. But I'm going to say something that may offend somebody. I don't care if I offend you or not. I don't know if you know that or not. Some people pray and ask God for things 
and they feel like the answer is no, but in actuality, the answer is God already said yes and gave it to you. But the problem is, you wasted the first yes, and now you're asking for a second yes. Like, I know, I know people that are begging God for more money, and what I want to tell them as their, as their pastor is, God already gave you some money, and you didn't honor him with it anyway, so why would God give you any more? Like, they're praying to win the lottery. I was like, hey, if we win the lottery, I'm going to honor God and give it all to the church and help the homeless people out. I was like, dude, you're not doing that now. Like, God already gave you a bunch of money, and you blew it. Like, why would he give you any more? Let me break it down, because like, I know that's offensive. Let me break it down into, like, a parenting analogy, because we can all agree with this. My daughter, I'm, I, it's lunchtime. I'm pouring chips on her plate. She's got a huge mound of chips on her plate to eat with her sandwich. And she looks up at me, and she says, Dad... I need some more chips. Like, give me some more chips. That's not enough. I was like, dude, that's plenty of chips right there. Just, just do it. She's like, no, nah, I get some more chips. And I told her this. I said, Leah, eat the chips that you have now, and then I will give you some more. But you're not even eating the chips that I gave you, so why would I pour more out of the bag? Some of our prayers were asking God for more or bigger or better, and God's like, why don't you take what I've already given you and be faithful and obedient with it, and then we'll talk about what more looks like later. Like, I already said yes to your prayer, and you wasted it. I already said yes to that need, and you weren't faithful with it. You weren't obedient to it. You said you would do certain things, and you said you would honor God, and you're making promises now, but you didn't do that before, and so God is saying, not no, but he's saying, I already gave it to you, and you blew it. So why would I dump more on your plate? Super convicting for me. <laughs> on what I asked God for and how faithful and obedient I've been with what he's already given me. Man, what has God put in front of you? What has God placed in your life? And before you ask for any more, see, when I give that potato chip analogy, all the parents are like, yes, that's good parenting. It would be irresponsible for you to dump the rest of the bag on her plate. That's a smart move. Even if she doesn't like it, it's tough love. It's the right thing. Then God does that to you and you're like, uh, that's not fair. Uh-uh. Oh, no, I don't like that. And we can agree with it on one point, but then we're like, nah, God, but you can't do that. That's the right thing for me, but not the right thing for you. John says there's actually a way that, that you can pray, and God will say yes every time. And it's if you know God, and you obey his commands, and you do what he's called you to do, then the answer will always be yes. What's the deal with prayer? Know who God is and approach God confidently and boldly with the request that you have, knowing that he's already going to say yes ahead of time. Verse 23, last two verses. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them, and we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us also lives in us. John circles all the way back. He said, let me give you the answer to the first question. How do you know? How can you know? I know your actions are going to illustrate that some change has happened, but, but how can you know it's Jesus? Who is Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you love God? Do you love his son? Have you given your life to him? Because when you give your life to him, then what happens is you'll begin to love 
one another and serve others. And then, the, and then the evidence starts piling up. And the more evidence that piles up, the more confidence that you have. But it all starts with Jesus. John doesn't say, look at your feelings. He doesn't say, look at your actions. He doesn't say, look, look at just what's going on in your life right now. He says, Jesus. What have you done with Jesus? Most important question you'll ever answer. What have you done with Jesus? Who is Jesus? It's a life-changing question. Changes today can change the trajectory not only of your life here on earth, but alters your eternity. Your life is changed, and then it's illustrated by actions. Your attitude will be different. Your actions, how you treat people, how you love people. Here's what John says. You ought to be able to look back on your life and realize the moment that Jesus changed it, and then you ought to see just that, change. You ought to see how you started treating people differently and responding differently and your heart began to be softened and you were more open-handed and you served others and you helped others. Your life will be different. It will play out that way. Your actions will be evidence to what Jesus has done for you. Listen, I'm confident of this. If you've truly met the creator of the world, you will never be the same. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you can't walk in the same person that you, you can't walk out the same person that you walked in. Not after that. Not after meeting that. Not after encountering that love. Not after seeing that selfless sacrifice. You won't be the same. It's impossible. John says your actions will illustrate. Your actions will illustrate that you once were dead, but now you're alive. That you once were lost, but now you're found. That you once were hopeless, but now you are full of hope. That you were once in the darkness, but now you are in the light. That once there was no evidence of any kind. And now you see your life has changed. That's how you know. Let Jesus into your heart. Ask him. Repent of those sins and turn towards him. Here, I challenge you to do this. When you came in, there's a little red connection card. It's the most important question you're ever going to answer. You had a next step card. At the bottom of it, there's a little tear off. There's a little box on there that, that says, uh, I want to make a decision for Christ. If you, if you want to know, like if you're like, hey, there's some doubt. I, I need to be reassured or, or I, like, I don't need to be reassured. I know I don't know Jesus. You, you fill your name out and check that box. Drop it in the offering baskets. Come by and one of our pastors will call you today. And we will not do what John did not do. We will not call you and say, I can't believe you don't know. How dumb are you? This is ridiculous. You call yourself a Christian. How long have you called yourself a Christian? Nah, we want to reassure you of what Jesus has done. And we want to point you towards the hope that can only be found in him. Tear that card off. Drop it in the basket. We would love to help you answer the most important question that you will ever be asked and see how your life can be changed.